you're listening to Bossy Britches with Lisa Schoeninger and Julia Dumay, and this week we are joined by a special guest, Maura Elliott, who is here to talk with us about Serial, the podcast from This American Life. Hi, Maura. Hello, guys. Hooray. What's up? Welcome. Yeah, thanks for joining us. No um, problem. The, the reason that uh, we asked Maura to be on is because Maura is um, probably the person I know uh, the, who is the... Uh, like the most well-versed in true crime. Um, whenever anybody Dangerously goes Dangerously well-versed, I would say. There are others that are well-versed, <laughs> but I'm in a weird <laughs> overload. But well, yes. if you're ever in a, like, if you fall into a, like a Wikipedia spiral and you're looking up uh, weird unsolved mysteries and things, Maura is like, oh yeah, hold on, I got some more links for you right here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I started listening to Serial, Maura was probably one of the first people that I knew um, that I knew to look to who would also be listening. So have you been listening from the first episode, or did you? No, catch up I, I didn't. I didn't start until the second episode. Um, but I, I mean, that's that's still pretty early on. I think most people started roughly around there that I know of, or afterwards. Like that's kind of where no, not many people I know actually started the original because it was kind of a smaller NPR podcast. Like it wasn't really. Obviously, it's huge, and NPR is a massive distribution. But it's. I don't think it hit the national audience until that point a little bit. Yeah, it seemed like it really kind of hit critical mass around the fourth or fifth episode, yes. I think. Well, that's um, where I think the story really yeah. hit its legs as well, which you could talk about. But um, I think in general, it, it kind of was just sort of like, oh, here's another podcast I'll listen to. And then it got mm-hmm. really interesting at that point. Um, and especially because it's true crime. I will say, I, I mentioned before on my Twitter, but I having to tell some people I worked with uh, and, and I, I went to school with, that it was a true crime story and not a fictional story was pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Some people really did think it oh, was a wow. fake story because I guess it was just a very well-told narrative and mm-hmm. it blew. I guess if you don't have experience mm-hmm. true crime, it must seem like a bunch of like police files. And some true crime is that. But my favorite type of true crime has a narrative and mm-hmm. it seems almost unbelievably uh, fictional. Which is yeah. how this comes across. Mm. I mean, without knowing the details, it could certainly come across as, I mean, potentially of uh, false, but I guess yeah, it's that's true. The, one of the things that keeps coming up is that narrative, because um, Sarah Koenig is really deliberately constructing a story. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's kind of perplexing for some people because you typically, when you get like reporting on a crime, it's this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and here's the outcome. And what's really happening here is, well, maybe this person is telling the truth and maybe they're lying and maybe there's something else behind it. So let's kind of delve into what these details mean. And I think for a lot of people that I've spoken with, they're, they were kind of um, taken aback by how fluid things are, that there isn't really a truth that mm-hmm. can be discovered. Because um, you think, like, as you go yeah. through your life, you think, well, this is what I am experiencing is the absolute truth. And that's not actually the case, because everyone is experiencing the same thing that you are. Um, and there's no really way to get down to what is the objective truth of the matter um, when you have all of these conflicting viewpoints. Um, Jules, have you, you've listened to, you've been listening along now too? I have. For once, I am like actually not completely behind. I am about halfway through the most okay. recent episode Okay, and now. that's, that's basically caught up. You're getting yeah. caught up. Yeah, that is like much closer than usual. <laughs> Usually I'm like, I, I watched, watched the first one. one yeah. Episode. Um, yeah. So like for me, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I listen to a lot of podcasts like our podcast where it's a, some people talking to each other. There isn't really much that I listen to that's yeah. like in the This American Life vein, um, where there's a story being told or there's fiction happening. So I'm really kind of used to it being like a conversation between people, which is, kind of what Sarah Koenig is constructing here. 
Um, but like the really interesting thing for me is there was an episode where she talked to the experts, where she brought in um, Deirdre and I can't remember her last name McConnell. from the okay, yeah, from the Innocence Project at the University of Maryland, oh, yes. and then she also brought in Detective um, Trainum who was on a previous This American Life episode about false confessions and how easy it is for cops to actually um, elicit false confessions without even realizing it. Yeah, Um, which is a great episode of This American Life. Um, I'll link it Mm. in the show notes so that you guys can listen to that. Um, And it's about kind of the nature of like truth and the fact that you can't, Mm. he says it in the episode of Serial, that you can't look at a police investigation as a search for the truth the police investigation is find a likely suspect um, who you have uh, a reasonable suspicion committed the crime and then set about proving that to be the case. Right. right. Yeah. Which like, yeah, I knew that like intellectually, I knew that that's what the police do, but like hearing it stated so baldly really kind of took me aback. Like, well, even his yeah. serial, like, I will say that's the one thing that Koenig really does when he's talking to her. When he explains this is a good case with good evidence, well, mm-hmm. good evidence versus bad evidence, but good evidence in terms of, he's like, I don't see any problems here, and I would say this is probably above average. She was floored, because mm-hmm. you would assume that having basically no evidence, having only like the confession of one person who's shifted around and lied a lot, hopefully that's a bad case yeah. where you just happened to you know slam Duncan in the courtroom. No, he's like, this is pretty much as much yeah. information as we're normally getting, if not more. And that was terrifying. And then and then later on, the, the woman from the Innocence Project is like, well, this is a really thin case the state has. This is, there's not a lot a, that's really that strong. It's a pretty bold strong. statement. It's a pretty that bold was statement interesting. on the, I, I think, criminal justice system in general, because you've got one guy saying this is uh, more than most police cases, and then you have a professional saying this should not have gone to court or been, you know, convicted. Yeah. And then you got to think, if this is better than most, and this got convicted... I mean, the transitive property is that most people in jail should not have been convicted, so mm-hmm. it's pretty terrifying yeah, to well, think about. And yeah. I, I like that they have a pretty straight arrow from one to the other in terms of, like, understanding. It's educating a lot of people on how this works, which, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with it, is probably pretty informative and terrifying. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, because even that, and, you know, I have, I will talk about more next week, um, but I have some problems i had some a lot of problems with the first episode but one thing i really liked was the way she starts the whole thing which is by asking people what did you do last friday walk me through your entire day break it down and you know even in that episode you've got these two experts who are saying very different things two people who spent their careers doing this and are saying one of them saying, oh, no, this is, from my experience, this is a really good case. This is really solid detective work. This is a very strong case mm-hmm. the state's built. And then the other person from the other side is saying, no, this is a very thin case. This is not a strong case at all. So it it was interesting The really reinforce that sort of subjectivity, how, you know, we were trained sort of from other media from tv and from movies and law and order to think oh well the cops generally get it right more often than not they know what they're doing there's sort of a subjective truth that they're figuring there's an objective truth rather that they're figuring out and all throughout you just have this sort of like oh 
even the experts can't agree. Even the experts are like, oh, one person says this, one person says that. Whereas there's no real, it doesn't seem like there's a real truth with a capital Yeah, and that's what I found really interesting about um, what Sarah Koenig said to train him um, in that that section where she mentioned her father who was a famous ad executive um who and you know Mm -hmm. advertising is all about creating a truth it's not necessarily um Mm. presenting as reality it's like kind of giving you a an enhanced sense of reality um and that he was the one who Mm. always said all facts are friendly and so it's kind of like it's really (laughs) interesting that she would be so flummoxed by a cop saying you know not all facts are friendly like you don't you don't go yeah. digging under every rock because you only want to find the rocks that are going to you build your case evidence. for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That was really interesting. And I wonder if that's like, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was like, why an obsession with true crime? Um, and is it is it because we're yeah. all so intrigued by the idea of finding out the truth of something? Like, I know there's a, there's a subreddit for a serial that's sprung up where it is literally hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands of posts at this point. Of, and it's all people arguing with each other, trying to figure out, they, they are convinced that they can get to the objective truth of what happened, that they're, um, trying to investigate mm-hmm. the crime based on the evidence that they've been given in the podcast, and then based on the evidence that's available online from people like, uh, Rabia Chowdhury. She's got a blog where she posts things. Um, but it really is kind of like a detective story for a lot of people. Um, and is, like, would you say, Mara, is that kind of why that you, like get into these true crime obsessions like are you looking to sort of solve the crime or is there something else that it's draws tough you? because i mean when i was when i was just preparing for this episode i have like some basic i think most true crime falls into five like categories which mm-hmm. would be it's solved mm. and it's okay which is just like someone got caught you know i mean i don't say okay but it seems like me- menial compared to the other stuff which would be like drunk driving or mm. you know Someone got in a fight and they went to jail. That's like a solved true crime that you might hear reported, but you don't really care about like the the specifics of. And then there's like the solved and horrific, which is the the stuff that you know the full story for. Someone's confessed and admitted to a heinous act, a crazy like you know big uh, like murder plot, that kind of stuff. Or I mean, this is where the next two or next three that I have kind of you want to get those three to move upwards into either one of those two categories. Either it was solved and it was okay, or it was solved and it was horrific. Mm -hmm. Then the next ones are just mysteries straight up. Like there's not enough information to know what even happened, which would be like Zodiac and Black Dahlia and Hinterkaifeck, which is the farm massacre in Munich. Mm -hmm. And those are the cut types where there is not enough information for you to even understand what happened. Because mm-hmm. there, there's you don't have enough to even put a person <laughs> or a narrative in there besides people died and we don't know why. And then there's the unbelievable stuff, which is where I think Serial falls into, which is like the Datlov Pass, which is like the Mara Murray stuff, the, the Koenig uh, State Parkway case, where there's a narrative and then there's this missing block of time or a motive or a, a, like a suspect that doesn't quite line up. Mm-hmm. Where you want to just correct it, and you and you can't figure because like in all the cases that I just mentioned, like I know like uh for like the, that that love passes when they are all you know in a tent, and then all of a sudden they're out of the tent and they all just die in in uh, uh zero thermal weather or whatever it was, and they can't figure out why everyone went crazy in a tent, and then there's all these theories of why that happened or like the Mara Murray stuff. She was a student who had some troubles. 
And then we, no one can figure out if she committed suicide or someone abducted her or her father did it. And then there's a whole bunch of like missing, there's a missing time of when she, she decided to drop out of school, wrote a letter to her professor, drove up to the mountains in New Hampshire, and then just disappeared after a car crash with some liquor in the backseat. And no one knows if that's like, well, was she going to commit suicide with all this liquor? Or was she looking to have like a weekend at a cabin she used to ski at? Because she needed a time off from school and all the stress. Like, there's a million ways to look at such an easy... Like, there should be an answer for that. Is it, yes, she was depressed, she was (laughs) going to kill herself. Or yes, she would need some time off, she was not going to kill herself. Mm -hmm. But we don't have the answer, so, like, the rest of the time is spent, like, obsessing over what it is. And then, I mean, Serial sort of falls into that because you have an easy answer is that, yes, everything that happened, the state's case against uh, Adnan was... He was guilty, and they were right, and this is what happened, or close to what happened. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, oh, but then, but what if that's not true? You have to exhaust right. all the other options before agreeing that's true. And then, I mean, on top of all the other stuff, there's always the unexplained stuff, which brings in the whole, you know, aliens myth, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. <laughs> aliens <laughs> did it is another very easy, I mean, we could always just say that about cereal, too. I don't know, maybe aliens did it, but that's the other option for a lot of stuff, is that there's some kind of unexplained phenomenon that, I mean, usually it is explainable but you just don't know it yet so there's just a lot of weird mythology stuff yeah there's and there's there's a couple of things that um that subreddit for serial that i've sort of accidentally stumbled my into Mm -hmm. again and again and again (laughs) um accidentally totally not on purpose um and (laughs) shamefully but like there are a couple of different theories that and the thing that gets me is a lot of the time um occam's razor gets um brought up a lot you know the simplest explanation is mm. is usually the likeliest, um, but I think like we're so trained by by pop yeah. culture, like it's never the simplest explanation. You know, Sherlock Holmes never arrives on the scene and says, you know, okay, oh this dead guy and he got in a fight <laughs> with this other guy and it was that guy that did it. It's always like, oh that guy that he got in the fight with, he owed money to somebody else and that somebody else turned out to be smuggling diamonds and you know the the dead guy stumbled into that <laughs> or- like. It, like we're really kind of trained to see complexity in everything, so I think like a lot of stuff it could be like a really simple, straightforward explanation. But we're always like, well, but that's a little too neat. Like that's a little too cliched that it was, you know, or the ex boyfriend that did it, or um, it was the drug dealer that did it, or whatever. You know, or even then, it, it's interesting because uh, Mora that that case you were just describing what was what was the, Maura Murray, the woman's that's name? That's why I'm obsessed with it. Mora, <laughs> Mora, Mora yeah. Okay. okay, I wondered, um, but I was, you know, it's interesting because it's and in this case as well, it's not so much there's no explanation. It's almost yes, that there's absolutely. too many. You want to find the right narrative. And Occam's razor, and Occam's razor isn't necessarily helpful because these are all pretty likely scenarios. These are all pretty straightforward. Her ex-boyfriend did it. Um, her current boyfriend did it. Uh, she was, it was a drug dealer who killed her. You know, they're all fairly simple mm-hmm. explanations. Um, and, and there are just too many of them. Sort yeah. Of. And then there's always the, the looming, let's just throw a serial killer at it because a lot yeah. of these cases is, well, is yeah. it similar to any of the serial killing cases? And then that's not a bad, I mean, that's the, the criminal mind's defense, which is just, it's probably someone who's done this before. And that's fine, because if it's not any of the, the suspects on the plate, it has to be some other suspect, and who else could even do this but right. a serial killer? But serial itself is, uh, first of all, oddly titled that, that it's called serial. But <laughs> yeah. in, in addition to that, though, the problem here maintained is that Jay's narrative 
is in place. So either he is 100% lying about every single aspect of the case, or it's not anybody who's been involved so far. Like, <laughs> well, if it's someone else, if it's Don, or if it's some other person she met that we don't know about, like, yeah. it couldn't... It doesn't make sense that Jay would volunteer this narrative. Right, like, for why, if a serial killer mm. encountered her by chance, how does Jay know what he knows about what happened? Where um, the car was. Mm. Yeah, and the thing that I keep coming back to, like, I see a lot of people... Uh, Every on the the subreddit, especially, there's like the two main factions. There, Adnan Adnan is totally innocent, and Jay Jay is lying about everything. Or Adnan totally did it, Jay's lying about a little bit, or maybe everything. And the thing that I keep coming back to is, um, you know, even if I tell you a story that is false, um, let's say I'm driving along in the car with Mora, and um, we pass Jules Jules's car on the street, and I run into Jules's car, and I I cause a bunch of damage and drive off. And later, Mora goes to the cops and says, I know who did that. It was Lisa. She was driving, um, and an alien popped up in the back seat, and she drove into Jules' <laughs> car, and we were so freaked out, we just drove off. Or, you know, and then the second time they talk to Mora, Mora says, Ugh, you yeah. didn't get pictures. <laughs> no pictures. Uh, the second time Mora says, oh, we were driving along, and Lisa was smoking a cigarette or a joint, and she dropped it in her lap and lost control of the car and crashed into the car. Or the third time she says, it wasn't even Lisa in the car, it was, you know, somebody else, and I just picked up a ride with them. Well, the truth is still that I hit the car. I'm still the person that hit the Mm. car. The car is still damaged. And it doesn't matter how many times Mora changes the details of what she tells people. That's still what happened. So, like, where I struggle Mm. is, um, you know, how do you pick out, like, the actual truth of what happened? You know, if, if the witness keeps changing their story... Oh, they, you know, oh, it happened here. Oh, it happened there. Oh, we talked about it this time. We talked about it that time. Um, you know, the truth could still be that, you know, I know who did it and it's the person that I said that did it. And, and that's, that's probably I... the most damning evidence mm. in the case is that, I mean, I do like that they even addressed the whole, and when Ka- I mean, Kathy, in quotation marks, I don't know her real name, but when she says, oh, the reason there's so many random events here is because Jay lies. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that person. Everyone knows the person who embellishes every single story they tell or just tells stories that never even exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but that certainly makes for a very confusing witness to a, a very intense murder. So that is, I mean, mm. that's true of that. But also I think that uh, Trainum g- goes into it pretty specifically. He just says, hey, He's minimizing. I think, I mean, if you're going to try and make a case, they didn't really do the right case. They they made it into this big, uh, uh, Anon an had just, you know, planned to do this. He had mm-hmm. talked about it ahead of time. I don't think that's the case at all. If it was guilty, yeah. if it was, it's guilty versus not guilty. I mean, I am certainly still on the fence about some things, but if you're going to try and make a case for guilty, it should have been a crime of passion and Jay was just there and helped him deal with it. And he didn't want to be part of the major accessory mm-hmm. part. So he minimizes his in- involvement un- entirely right, to the point where he yeah. was called after the fact and then uh, pretty much just tries to walk away as cleanly as possible. Because I think, I mean, there was certainly a little bit of coaching in the pre-air interviews that you didn't hear, I'm sure, is, mm-hmm. hey, I don't want to go away for this. What can I do to make sure I don't? And right. They yeah. need someone to basically put the narrative together. And I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, it's all allegedly, but... I mean, that's certainly, I I mean, it's unethical in some aspects, but I mean, if it did happen, it's only more of a bending of the truth rather than. Yeah. And that's something like, Mm -hmm. like, that's like, I'm really glad that I don't work in law enforcement or in the justice system because, you know, you have to constantly weigh, um, 
you know, what is the right thing to do? What is the what is the thing that I can do that's going to get the conviction that's going to get, you know, if I am convinced that you are the person who murdered and I believe that all the evidence is corroborated and points to the fact that you murdered someone, you know, uh, you know, do I work to put you away so that you can't do it to anyone else so that no one else is in danger? Or do I, you know, investigate some of those doubts that I have? Um, and I, th you know, I don't know what the right answer is, but I would hope that, um, the people who actually do this for a living, like, have the idea that they're putting thought into, you know, what is the right thing to do. But I think we've also seen that that's not always the case. Um, right. Unfortunately. And that's, that's, that's where I think, I think one of the first um, episodes, or maybe the second episode, where she talks about having spoken briefly to, either it was McGill, I don't know if it was McGillivray or... Um, uh, Ritz, I Ritz. Think. Ritz, Ritz. I don't know which one was the one that returned her answers and phone call, but when the one said that he did it without without any, uh, he is a hundred percent sure that that Anand is guilty. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I mean, the only way that someone could think that way is a, he's just a very black and white kind of person, and that's fine. But B is that maybe he knows more to the story than we know, which is what happened in those pre-air interviews, and. It'd be a, it'd be a lot easier for us to be saying, "Oh, of course he's guilty," if we knew more to the story. And I think even when they talked to Jay, which was a pretty awkward conversation, but when they talked to Jay, they didn't <laughs> get into the specifics of, "Can you talk to us about things that maybe were on the record?" Because he was already just so annoyed with them being there, mm -hmm. understandably. But um, I think that that whole that aspect of it could have. I mean, there's no real delicate way to approach it. He was a witness in a murder, and he's right. probably not going to go back on that story, but. I think, I think, I think Anand had said to Sarah at one point that, that his case lived and lived and died in the in the, uh, the little pocket of time when he was supposed to have killed her. Right. I think that the same can be said for his case in terms of those couple hours before he was taped interview taped interview uh, was probably when his guilty verdict was decided because if if he was ad admitting to what happened at least in some respects mm -hmm. that was probably the only time you're ever going to hear it and it, it, i don't know that it'll ever truly be discussed and that's why i think some people are going to be really devastated by the end of the series yeah because i doubt <laughs> they're going to close it out with this like oh by the way here's the pre-taped interview <laughs> right 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 yeah like, the bombshell would really be in that last episode to be like oh and by the way here's jay and here's his you know here's the recording he made on the day of adnan saying this is what I did, or, you know, this was him taping the police saying, look, here, we know that Adnan didn't really do it, but he's the most likely to go away for it, and you won't get in trouble, so just say this. Like, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's, a, mm. that's just flat out not going to happen. This is, I think, one of those things where whatever your, um, whatever you believe happened is just going to have to be your truth because there there is no way to get it, you know? There's no way and for Sarah Koenig to go the on the radio nature... and say... That's the nature of true crime is that most people cannot responsibly talk about what could have happened, what did happen without having enough evidence one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So she can hope that he gets, I mean, I know that there, his case has a, a tiny chance of being appealed in, I think, January or at least of next year. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe what they'll do a follow up episode. I doubt they're going to know anything in terms, like hard facts by the end of the series because it's supposed to be ending before that. Right. Um, but, uh, regardless, like, I think that in general, she can't, I mean, she says there's some people that she might have assumed was the anonymous caller, but she can't responsibly, you know, report who that was. And I respected that because it would be easy to do that, but it would also just make their lives hell because it's already probably been hell for the people that are involved in the case 
that were being yeah. honest because their names, I mean, to, to some respect, their names have been, um, slightly removed. Like, you don't know Jay's last name, but it's not hard to find out. I, that's yeah. the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it, they, the subreddit has a rule, um, but we know how internet detectives are. And so, <laughs> like, it's out there. The people, like, Kathy's real identity is out there. Um, right. Oof. The names of a lot of people that, that Sarah Koenig held back because, you know, for privacy concerns and also for libel concerns. You know, she can't right. go on the air yeah. and say, um, you know, she can't specifically say, I think it was this person or I think it was that person that did this or that, um, because that opens her up to um, to civil actions, you know. Um, but then I think, like, the Internet Detective Squad, they get sort of into that mob <laughs> mentality of we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. It, um, but the one thing I will say is that most of what I've seen has been uh, admonitions not to go down that road um, oh, because yes. of uh, specifically because of what posts. happened after the <laughs> yes. Boston bombing. Nice. That's yeah. good. Um, one question I would have, and Maura, I'd like to hear more from you because I think we discussed a little before we began recording. I'm not really in my Rex will be sparse this week because I'm not really into true crime that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I'd love to hear a little more from you about, um, sort of, you mentioned, you know, your five categories of, uh, true crime stories for you, which is very interesting. Is there, do you think there's one in particular that you personally are drawn to, that more people are drawn to, are different people drawn to different kinds of these stories? Yeah, I would, I mean, it's interesting. I mentioned the Mara Murray because, I mean, just the fact that her name's Mara is always a little bit unnerving because it makes it a lot more realistic. Yeah. It, it seems like it hits close to home. I mean, it's probably, for Elisa and Julie, it's probably like, okay, come on, everyone's seen Lisa and Julie. We've had tons of people. But for me, it's still slightly rare to find a Mara, at least in, in, uh, in the news or something. It's, it's, it's more of like a one in, like a million situation instead of one in a gajillion. But, um, uh, so I was like, oh, there's Amara. And then I found out the story and it's pretty haunting. And to me, that just seems there's something almost, um, I mean, it's probably me being speculative, but I feel, I think it's almost kind of a voyeuristic, um, element to it where you want to be able to account for every single action of someone during the day. And it's sort of, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that Sherlock, uh, thing where you know when you meet Sherlock and he knows every single aspect about your personality based on the way you say there and that's like oh my gosh like I want someone to know me intimately by what I've done and what I do not <laughs> what I say just like they want that you want someone to know what you are as a human being and that's what these kind of stories you want to be able to account for the time timeline and the time in general of someone's day to an intimate degree because you're having people like normally when someone you know if you if you miss the bus after school, and someone wants to account for where you were, they'll just they'll make assumptions. They'll be like, "Oh, normally this," but now you have to literally find out what that day entailed because it's mm-hmm. life or death. You want to know the, the the true story of what happened. And normally, mm-hmm. you could just you know put that aside as just, "Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter." It does matter in this case. So you want someone to be able to account for your time in an interesting way. And I think that's kind of what a lot of true crime is: is just sort of finding out very true intimate details about people's lives and hmm. i mean it sounds a little creepy but i think that's pretty much what uh, to me it's sort of just someone knowing everything you did that day and down to what you ate sometimes that mm. kind of stuff and it makes it realistic and it makes it it's sort of the, the same 
aspect of when you watch Scream and then you freaked out that there's someone in your closet all day. (laughs) If you you read a lot of true crime and you're like, you turn the radio uh, to a different station because you didn't like that song. In your brain, that's like a, a line in the Wikipedia article if you die later that day. Like, that's sort of the kind yeah. of, like, it, it becomes, like, everything that you do would mm. have been uh, melodramatized, uh, I should say, uh, to mm-hmm. uh, the nth degree. Because if you died later that day, people would want to know what you're doing. And normally, they may not huh. care. That's kind of where I think true crime is. Where it, sometimes people don't care what you're doing because you're a human being, you're independent. But if if you're like heinously murdered all of a sudden, they're gonna want to account for where you were that day if they wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily care to do that the day before. And that's kind of what I think is a little bit interesting. It's not always true. Some true crime is not at all that way. But these cases in particular, I think, are very relatable. I mean, they're unfortunately a lot often about young women being killed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it's a very um, I, I would say relatable because if you're ever in a situation where, even like if you pull up to a stoplight and there's someone next to you revving your engine, and I'll check their plates, but in regardless of it, you could just start theorizing like if I die, everything yeah. that I've done up until this point is huh. going to become a, a what if? Would someone understand what happened if they just drove away? And you know what I mean? Like there. Are, it becomes sort of like you put yourself in the narrative, and that's that's why I like mm. true crime is because it's almost like if I had been in this situation, what was I doing? Like you right. always put yourself in the place of the victim, and then you try and figure out like where was Hay going that day? Was she going to the mall? Was she going just right to yeah? You know, that's wrestling the thing practice with serial that kind of I don't understand why that's not a bigger part of the narrative. Um, like because my experience of true crime has always been that the story is centered on the victim. Um, it's mm-hmm. always about, you know, what the victim di- did that day, what the victim didn't do that day, people that the victim knew, relationships, things like that. Um, and then what it was about the victim that, um, you know, drew someone to them or, um, you know, like, what did they do that maybe set someone off? Um, and like, it feels like she's like in this, in serial, um, Haley is really kind of absent from a lot of the story. Um, mm. You know, because most of it, it's centered on the person who's trying to get out of prison, who was convicted for her murder. Um, but like, you know, so there's all this attention on what did he do that day? And there's not so much attention on, well, what did she do? It's not until we get into episode nine or ten that we find out, you know, that people actually talked to her after school, that there was this unaccounted for time that people actually had seen her. And why did it take us nine or ten episodes to get that information? Like, I I think that's really interesting about this, too. Because, like Maura said, like, you really kind of put yourself in the victim's shoes. Like, is this something that could happen to me? You know, what what happened exactly and how relatable of an experience is it? Because I think, like, for me, the draw of true crime is, like, it, it happens to people all the time. It's not, there's no mm-hmm. special kind of a person that this stuff happens to. Like, it, mm-hmm. um... It could literally happen to anyone, which is really scary. In my family, we call them um, murder, murder, death kills from. Oh, it's a line nice. from uh, Demolition Man. From yeah. Demolition Man, um, nice. So, like, whether it's true crime or whether it's like a scripted drama or something, they're all murder, death kill shows. Um, but that's, I mean, like, they're all kind of like a universal thing. Where, like, if I go, if I go on a road trip, like I went on vacation by myself a couple of years ago, and it really was like in the forefront of my mind like you know if i'm driving down this highway and i disappear you know like i've seen all these stories of of people that that's happened to like would anyone ever know what happened to me or would i just be like 
an episode and, of 2020 five years and i also road. and i want to say that it's not just a morbidity because it is also just what if i get killed mm-hmm. there's also i think it really attracts people like myself who have this kind of weird like gene or or instinct to i mean it's uh what it there's an actual i don't know there's a phrase for it i don't remember what it's called but it's sort of like when you're at the very very top of like the empire state building and your instinct is and your instinct is oh god yeah what if i jump and it's yeah. not that you're gonna oh jump, god yeah it's not that you're gonna jump because well, i would yeah. never jump that's terrifying but it's more just like look at how close i am to jumping like this yeah is all that's, that's all that's terrible. stopping this yeah. is me deciding to jump yeah, and you're and not what even is necessarily a that... person, but it's just sort of like, what's what's stopping me from just, if I'm off, if you go away for vacation, and then you decide to just start a new life, will uh-huh. people be able to put the pieces together of why you did that, or will you just be mysteriously disappeared? And you want someone to find you, is right. the basic of it. Is... That's, you know, you brought up, um, that's interesting, because you start describing that feeling, and my immediate reaction is, oh god, that's why I don't like oh, heights. <laughs> that's yeah. why I freak out around heights. And I wonder... Um, and these, cause sometimes the stories I do read, and I don't read a lot of them, but when I do, they're often more of the category you described as, um, known and horrific. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I made the mistake the other week of reading an article about Jonestown, which oh, was terrible. Yeah. I'm like, that was, that was a terrible mistake. Yeah. Um, but I, you mentioned, um, I, you reminded me of something a friend, I think, once said about, uh, Jewish kids, how we sort of, uh, Jewish kids tend to go through a phase of, there are two types, where there's a type where you get obsessed with the Holocaust as a Jewish child, mm-hmm. and as a Jewish, as a young Jewish person, and just obsessed with it, you read everything you can get your hands on, and, and then there's the other type who are just like, no, no, get that away from right. me. I don't want to hear any more about that than I absolutely have to. Um, and I, I'm sort of more of the latter, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Um, I've I'm realized that I, I'm like, not Jewish, but the yeah, where, yeah, but it's, it's interesting because a lot of the people I know who are interested in true crime as well are women. Yeah. And, the majority of these stories are often about female victims. Um, I almost feel like and I, I, when I read a lot of it, it's almost like you're prepping for worst case scenarios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's not to some extent. I, and I think even when I do, do indulge, it's, it's almost, um, cathartic to some extent. You're like, oh, the worst case scenario is this. Let's read through it and steal myself. Right. I mean, yeah. for, on a real, on a real honest level, it's almost like as if you wrote a letter that said, "If I go mysteriously disappearing, please do not assume that I did it on purpose," and you tucked it under a seat, <laughs> and then the rest of your life was spent running around driving. And if you were ever abducted, there'd be a little letter underneath that says, "That's <laughs> almost like what this this entire genre of source does to me." Is that if you think that. I would be one of these people that does abscond for no reason, which is pretty rare, I would say, at least in the terms, I mean, it, it's certainly possible, but I think that that's also, that's also a, um, that's a, that's a reality given to a lot of cases that people don't want to admit were just either suicides or murders. Mm. Um, yeah. But regardless, mm. like, I mean, maybe if you did just randomly, like, run away, you want people to, to worry about you. Cause I think in some cases, it seems almost like, um, uh, it seems that the behavior is there that they almost were. It, that's what's so interesting is that a lot of these cases, like, hey, in particular, like, you could 
there's a narrative you can craft where she did run away and mm-hmm. and you and she was mm. just sick of it. Maybe she broke up with Don. Not that Don did, but maybe Don lied and he said. But like, there's a way you could craft a narrative there very yeah. easily because she had tough parents, which is whatever. But like, there, and then a lot of these cases where people were murdered, like you want to believe the best in in what actually happened, even though it was likely, like we said, the Occam's razor of someone just you know got mad and killed her. Yeah, but like you want to hold out that hope, like one of those stages of grief. Away that people go through is like um mm. magical thinking mm. like bargaining yeah like well yeah. they're not really dead that something else happened and they've just decided to walk away or whatever um and that's a way of keeping that person alive so you don't have to confront the reality of death which i think is really attractive um i know i've i've gone through that stage a couple of times myself where um it's a lot more comforting to think well something else happened like it's easier to deal with well they left me than it is then you know they're dead and they're never and coming back and i think back. i think that's i i don't know i'm totally speculating here and again this is not really my genre so correct me if i'm wrong but i sort of wonder if that's part of the appeal also of these elaborate conspiracy mm-hmm. theories too of like it was aliens it was a big government conspiracy yeah. it was of just that not only is there a possibility that they're still alive? But even if they're not, that they were really important. Well, clearly, one of the that most... this person didn't just randomly die because other people are terrible, and um, that there was this big significance to it. One of the most haunting lines in Serial to me was when she finally speaks with Asia, and she's like, "I'd be glad to know that he didn't actually do this. I'd be glad to have one less evil person in oh, my life." Yeah. And that, in the world, yeah. or in my life, I think that is one of the most true statements about the entire show and the entire genre and the entire, mm-hmm. like, basically, like, human existence is that you want to always <laughs> hold out hope that whatever the real answer is, it accounts for the least amount of cruelty. Because to yeah. think that people mm-hmm. are capable of just plotting and then murdering someone is is worse than thinking it was a heat of the moment situation, and it's worse than thinking that she got away, but then her body was found. Like, there are always, like, there are, there are escalated levels. And there, in the Mara Murray case in particular that I brought up before, it's interesting to me that since since her disappearance, I, there's always been that nagging, uh, there's been several, uh, quote-unquote, uh, what do you call it, uh, encounters with Mara Murray post, uh, the people that said that she was either abducted and living a different life and that she whispered, help me, to someone when she was checking out at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then the people thought that they saw her in a video camera in, or video surveillance footage. And, like, there, there's always, like, that like that, that weird, like, post-encounter where you're just like, oh, maybe she really is alive. And then you're just yeah. like, but that's stupid. She literally went missing in New, New Hampshire during a, a massive snowstorm. Well, but you hear about <laughs> stories like um, those girls that get kidnapped and forced yes. to live with guys for decades. Um, those The women that were kidnapped in Cleveland and, and kept in the guy's house for literal yeah. decades. There was a kid just in Atlanta who was discovered inside a wall at his father's house um, that they had abducted him from his mother um, and he'd been living there for years and no one knew. Um, so it's like those things do happen and you kind of like, like I would, I don't know which I would like, which seems like the least um, I know. traumatic, you know, like, yeah. I mean, death mm-hmm. is obviously the most traumatic, but then there's also kind of like the torture of all of these years in yeah. captivity. Well, of, that's like a living death. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, like, the other thing for me, like, um, that I haven't really, I don't think we've really talked about, like, w- the allure of true crime is also kind of, like, looking at it from, 
from the perspective of the person who did it, like how much separates me from a murderer, you know, like Mm. I, I have a temper and I get really angry and my sister and I have been at odds for our entire lives. Um, And it's a kind of, (laughs) it's one of those sibling relationships where literally anything will set it off. Like we're just like all of a sudden yelling at each other, you know? And so what separates me from someone who snaps and, you know, murders their girlfriend or, you know, um, you know, Again, we're getting so much into uh, post 1940s Jewish philosophy yeah. here. It's like, oh, the banality of right, evil right. issue. Yeah. You know, and like, I think some, there's a thing that keeps coming up in conversations that I've had online and, and um, in real life about cereal specifically are um, a lot of people looking for ways to say that, that, you know, Adnan is not guilty because Adnan doesn't act like someone who's guilty. Um, or Adnan mm-hmm. is guilty because Adnan didn't act the way that I would act in a situation like that, um, mm-hmm. which really seems to be about, like, I want to know, like, for myself, I want to have comfort in the fact that I can tell when someone is evil. Yeah. And that's um, that. I think they, they kind of, I think some people want to tell, want people to tell them, am I guilty? Because I understand why he did it, or I mm-hmm. understand how someone could look guilty, and does that make me guilty in, in, in relation mm-hmm. to that? Because... I mean, to to say that, like, I, anyone is capable of murder, I mean, they do ask that straight of it on, and he even says, yes, of course, in the right situation, but blah, 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 there's always... Right, yeah. And that's fine, but, like, I think uh, on another level where he's saying the plotting level of the method- methodicalness of it, would you still be capable? And, I mean, again, that's still, I mean, he immediately throws it out the door, is like, not really, but I'm like, you know, I mean, honestly, it kind of depends on the situation. Like, if it was a really dark relationship if someone was like a really i mean it doesn't seem that case for them but like there are certainly yeah. many different situations even if it, it did involve plotting that murder is not out of the question for many different people you mentioned before the people being abducted that would probably take some plotting but i don't think there's anything unexcusable about killing the person who's kept you captive for 20 years in their closet or something yeah so well but- yeah and there's i mean there's stats i don't have them I don't know them by heart or anything, but like, like the most likely explanation, like when a woman turns up dead, there was a, and there's an article I've been trying to find for weeks and I cannot think of what it is. So if anybody out there listening has, has read it and knows where I can find it, I would love a link um, about a woman who talked about when she was growing up, they'd watch the news, her and her dad, and they would mention that they had found a woman's body or a woman had, had disappeared. And her father would always say the boyfriend did it. The husband did it. It was the ex-boyfriend it was you know the lover whatever and she would always get really angry like well you don't know like you don't know the truth of what happened you don't even know who this woman is and you know the majority of the time it turns out yeah it was the boyfriend it was the husband yeah the ex it was um like that's an unfortunate truth that women are victimized in that and specifically in that way that they're murdered and they're and they disappear and it's Um, such a double-edged sword because then I mean, obviously, that's the easy and obvious explanation right. because women are but victimized, then, unfortunately. But if then, something is else happens, easy if, to say of that. Right. <laughs> if this is like the point two percent chance where it was something completely different, exactly. like where it was aliens or she <laughs> did wander into the path of a serial killer, that, you know, the first person and the only person that they're going to look at are the boyfriends, and then they get, you know, what they think is corroborated evidence that he did it, and there's the conviction, and it's done. You know, and that. I think brings up an interesting thing and that I've seen, I can't remember where it was that this, I, it was probably law and order or something deeply like banal (laughs) where this point was first made that sort of in such a way that it really kind of stuck with me. But, you know, in our 
judicial system, in theory, you know, we don't decide whether people are guilty or innocent. Mm -hmm. We decide whether they're guilty or not guilty. Right. You know, and, and I like where I am with this case is I'm like nine, I'm like, 80%, 80, 90% sure that I'm like, yeah, I suspect, again, knowing the majority of the time when a woman dies, it's when a woman is murdered, it's generally a significant other that I'm like, mm, I think I'm not convinced that Adnan is innocent at all, but I am absolutely not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that he's exactly. guilty. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's amazing to me that this even... I, I, to me, that's, that's the biggest, like, smoking gun of the case, and I, I think that it, it just does not add up, because regardless of what you think about, and that's maybe one of the difficulties, is because it's hard to differentiate. Sarah Koenig has basically made the audience the jury in this case, mm -hmm. and it's only yeah. proven to us that this was an unfair case, because if we were the jury, clearly we're undecided, and it should not have gone to a guilty verdict. Yeah, and, well, I think, I'm in a I think I'm in a minority, though, because, like, Jules, I'm not convinced of innocence. I have not heard, um, you know, and it's this tricky thing because you do want to presume someone innocent until they're proven guilty. And mm. then we're in a case where he was proven guilty. Um, you know, he doesn't I mean, have yeah. option anymore, but I think, and obviously we haven't heard everything. The trial lasted for six weeks and we've heard 10 yeah. hours at this point. It's not even all 10 hours of the evidence against Adnan. It's, there's a lot of extraneous things that are happening too. So I have like a very definite feeling of what, what I think happened based on what I've heard so yeah. far. But I also feel and I'm like, like, I feel like the state proved their case. Like there are a lot of things that weren't available to the prosecution or the defense or the jury during the trial, things that have come up 15 years later as, as this reporter digs into it. Um, so like, I, I feel like, I feel like he, if he was found guilty and he should have been found guilty based on what was presented at trial. But I also think that like the case is really shaky. Like, oh, um, yeah. you know, yeah. they didn't like, that's my look thing enough, is I, I agree like from the state's point of view. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty solid case, but there's still a lot of reasonable well, doubt for me. I'm like ethically, I don't know that if I'd been on the jury, I could have said guilty because I am not beyond reasonable doubt. Well, my doubt. thing is, I don't really understand, like, beyond a reasonable doubt, does that mean, and it doesn't mean an absolute, that there's absolutely no doubt at all. It just means that any mm. scenario in which he wasn't involved is unreasonable. And I don't think mm. that there are any scenarios where it's unreasonable that he wasn't involved based on, mm. you know, he says he has the phone at a time when the phone is showing up where her body was found. Um, the fact that, you know, they had broken up a bunch of times and always gotten back together. And then this time they broke up and they weren't getting back together. See, you to know, like, me, the clincher is always that he helped with her car with Don. I mean, that's to say, also, he would probably be a charming sociopath in that situation. But <laughs> that that he could be so casual having met the new boyfriend, that's where it kind of falls apart for me. That's my reasonable doubt. Well, is it if? But when did weird. that happen? Like, I don't even know what the timeline right, is. Right, and not that, that they had been dating for a while. Like they had already broken up for a month, I think, at that point. And then her car broke down. She called both Adnan and Don, and they showed up to help the car. I don't know the I don't know the specifics of how that happened. Uh -huh. I, we never heard Don's testimony, but Don said he seemed like a nice guy. He was upset. He didn't like. I mean that. And then that's to say, of course, maybe he was hiding, being absolutely livid. Who knows? But yeah. the fact that he presented himself as reasonable then. Plus, Assad always saying that he's sleeping around, which doesn't always also excuse it either. There's enough to me that he had moved on that it does seem like 
either it was really malevolent and he was plotting, or he had moved on, and that's to me my re- reason for that. But it's that's a very tricky area because that's not to say that you would agree with me on that. <laughs> so that's yeah, a and like the only yeah. thing, like the only person who knows what happened, the only per- the only there are two people in the entire world who know what happened at the moment that Haley was murdered, and that's Haley and the person who murdered her. Like yes. none of the mm-hmm. rest of us can look at anything else that happened around around the event to say that we know the truth of what happened, and that's what's like I think really frustrating, but also what keeps drawing us back in, like. You know, maybe this time we'll listen to the episode and we will have a confession from someone or, you know, some missing piece of evidence that proves it definitively. The toughest part is that Jay Jay knows enough that he must have been involved after the fact or before the fact, Mm -hmm. and you just Mm -hmm. can't figure out how. And that's what's tough about it. Is Like, you know a little bit of the truth, but you need to know all of it. And I don't think, unless, unless Jay's telling the truth or unless Jay's lying flat out, there's no way to know because he couldn't have known that the blinker was kicked. He couldn't have known where the car was. Mm-hmm. Or he might not have been there when it happened, but he could have seen that stuff after and then been able to give it to the police as if he had been there. You know what I mean? Like, there's too much coincidence going on that at least he knows some of it, too. And that's yeah. also, it's like, I just want to know the truth. Are you yeah. telling the truth? <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, I keep ha- the thought I keep having is, I wish I had a time machine. Like, yes. You know, yeah. like, I I, I want to go back in time and, and stop it from happening, you know, because then, you know, five million people aren't downloading a podcast and becoming obsessed with the idea of what happened and also <laughs> that this girl didn't lose her life, um, you know, and, and what looks to be the most likely explanation is at the hands of someone that she thought loved her. Like, I mean, mm. that's and that's the thing that gets me about like, I'm I have these true crime obsessions and then I just I feel so awful about it because they are real people that this happened to. Um, mm. And so I feel like guilty about, you know, wanting to delve so deeply into the details of their lives. But at the same time, it's, you know, like we, it's something that we do to everyone. Like every story can become public and, and, and part of a, a narrative that we consume later in life. Um, you know, like how is reading about the murder of a girl in 1999 different than reading about the murder of a girl in the late 1800s you know well, yeah. was a prostitute well that's or, an interesting you know the interesting part to me too is that reading about someone who this is a very specific window maybe window or closed window i guess you could say because this death occurred just before there would have been such an easy way to find out who really did it because yeah. if it had happened ten, even five years later or ten years later there would have been mm. so much more, like, like security uh, cell cameras phones, and security yeah, yeah, cameras, like data, email, all that stuff would have been backed up more assuredly, mm. and none of it's there. And that's part of what really—it's almost just like it, it's almost as if it's right on the cusp of being reachable, but because he has a cell phone, but it's just not enough. Because if you had the text messages, if you had like the emails, if you right? Had, well, the like, thing I keep stuff, thinking, digital, like, yeah. Well, I mean, like what gets me is there's that like part of his his alibi um that is never actually used in court is that he was in the library mm-hmm. and they're like at one point they talk to the library the people at the library and she's like well at that point we had a security camera but we had one tape for it that we just reused and taped over every right. week so even when this case was being investigated was in march late. it would have been taped over yeah. and it's beautiful because that's like such a nice simple representation of the entire case that <laughs> It's it's right there. Probably his alibi was probably taped on footage if he was really there. And it just politely got flipped over and retaped over. And right. That's it. 
that you'll never really know, and it's just it's so close. Also, to that's uh, listeners. That's a reason to support your local yes. libraries. Get them, them that good security. Give them <laughs> lots of money so they can they we can make sure if you ever yeah. go missing. Yeah, and they well, want to subpoena the, the email records from Microsoft. I know has been talked about, but I don't know. That, that, that data's long gone. Anyway. There's no way. There's I no know. way. Um, the the <laughs> thing like a lot of like the true crime things that that persist. Um. Like I just mentioned, Jack the Ripper. Like that's the probably the biggest unsolved true mm-hmm. crime um, story, and that kind of happened also at one of these like moments on the cusp, like before um, mm. real police forensics that's, that's existed. Yeah. Oh, geez. Did you read Patricia Cornwell's <laughs> book? I Time it very recently. That's probably why. Maybe I mean, it, Wh- I don't know if it's a hundred percent, but they have DNA evidence it's saying just- that he was. Uh, I forget who it was exactly. It was some. Some random person who was one of the suspects, but there's like mm-hmm. a 99% sure. Well, I don't believe that, that because I've, I've read that article 15 different times I mean, over it's... the last 20 years that they definitively know who it was based on this piece of evidence. Oh. It's an interesting point though. Um, cause you, you, Lisa, you brought up something interesting, which is, I mean, in terms of the unsolved crimes, serial killers are interesting because they're such a modern, phenomenon in some respects i mean the earliest we have and even true crime stories um and one of my recommendations later will be sort of um for this period but it was like the earliest you get in terms of detective novels what we would consider a detective novel um is like late 19th century the late 1800s i mean the first sort of serial killer we really think of as such if you ask somebody who's the first serial killer they're probably going to say jack the ripper um and it's interesting i wonder it's very interesting to me that true crime is is such a modern phenomenon um, to some extent, true crime and serial killers, we think of them anyway mm-hmm. as a very modern thing rather than a historical thing. And for me, I, I've actually read more crime stuff, more crime fiction in um, fiction and nonfiction as historical stuff. Like for me, that's a bit easier to sort of get my head around if these are all people who would have died of natural causes anyway, you know, if these, these murderers, these, this murderer's victims would have been dead of old age by now mm-hmm, yeah. anyway, it's much easier for me to sort of keep that, to, to read them. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of interesting, for people. the most I part, mean, so. the, the Jack the Ripper being the first though is always interesting to me because I'm like, oh my God, you're forgetting so many people. Exactly. <laughs> I love well, it. that's the thing though. I mean, there certainly isn't. It just, and even now, you know, we mostly hear about serial killers when their victims are largely white people. Mm-hmm. You know, middle class white, and they're people usually don't white males, which is why about. I think people like exactly. Elizabeth Bathory and, and like the Lupin Lee, which Lupin Lee is allegedly allegedly the original serial killer. I guess he was set second century, I think, or something BC, mm-hmm. something long time ago. And Elizabeth Bathory was yeah. uh, at least two hundred years before Jack the Ripper, and she killed probably oh they've said estimates of up to six hundred or more. So yeah, like and that's someone yeah. who is, I mean, and partly. She's the blood Sorry, countess. That's like some, that's to me so much, I mean, not, not that I'm saying, oh, how cool she killed all these people, but it's so cool because 
it just it defies the narrative of of modern times because I think what you're describing the modern serial killer is usually the unstable white male, and that's such yeah. a different narrative than what. Well, and that makes me yeah. that immediately makes me wonder how many are there out there that we don't see because they're not the white male because we know yeah. well exactly you know, that that and and their victims right are. there's a I mean you know what was the the what's it the what you call river murder the Green River who, killer you know yeah who targeted prostitutes mm-hmm. and nobody really noticed I mean it's only when your victims are in a certain bracket even now we think of them as modern and we think of them as people who target middle class white people and if they don't, as opposed to and even to, nowadays if they don't follow those basic things they become like a black widow it's not just a serial killer it's someone who's doing something mm. for like you need to describe it as like it's almost like yes they, they might be serial killing but they're not a white male so yeah you know that's really interesting yeah, killer. you said black widow and that is really interesting because like a white male who kills a lot of people we have a whole mythology around it there has to be like a pathology mm. that's subscribed to it there's something wrong fundamentally with that person and it gets these really like pseudoscientific explanations some of the time but actually like um like neuroatypical syndromes are associated with but then we give like like if it's a woman who kills a bunch of people it's like she's greedy or you know she's crazy like there's not that same mythology built up around it and even what you just said julie where it's like someone was targeting prostitutes like i mean not that the women are necessarily targeting prostitutes that's a man targeting a sexual object Mm -hmm. and for a man Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be husbands but if a woman is targeting sexual objects she may not be able to target someone who if if it's male prostitute i don't know maybe it's harder to kill them but like she's still just targeting a sexual object and it's just they're they're yeah. putting the objective i mean the story on her about, instead of the object and that's right bizarre. right the story of elizabeth bathory is that she was doing it to remain beautiful right, bathing in the blood killing young yeah. beautiful Which women so that she could true, remain but... beautiful herself yeah. <laughs> i mean it's interesting because i remember i was in my senior year of high school in to in you know, 2002, and, like, our homecoming game was canceled, and a bunch of, like, my entire, the first semester of high school was thrown off because of the sniper. Oh, yeah. Um, And it was just, I remember freaking out when my mom was late getting to work. Like, her work called me and was like, uh, where's your mom? Has, has she, I was like, she left a couple hours ago. And of course, that night on the news, it was like, oh, there's been a murder on this route. The DC sniper has struck on this gas station that's near my mom's route to work. I was like freaking mm-hmm. out. Um, and I remember, you know, there was this, at one point, there was this moment where there was a tarot card found near one of the bodies and this whole, no- note that like involved at one point they were like we're not releasing the full text but the phrase i am god was in there and um and it was just so everybody was coming up with like these hannibal lecter scenarios and it was sort of striking for everyone when it turned out that it was not a white guy it was not a middle class white guy who'd been doing this well, and, the, like, the story that comes out of that, like, now, the DC sniper isn't known as a serial killer. Like, yeah. Like, he's known he as this deranged, 
deranged a man. spree killer. Yeah, is also what they used to yeah. use sometimes, which is just that they did a bunch of people on a spree. And it's always funny to me that, that probably one of the most prolific was uh, uh, Love Was On. I don't remember her full name. It's like Catherine something Love Was On, or like she is probably the most prolific, as in like killed thousands of children and was like, I mean, it makes Elizabeth Bathory look like an angel, basically. But like, oh, and, and that was in 1600s France. And to me, like. No one talks about that. Everyone just talks about Jack the Ripper who killed four, like, four to five people or something, or maybe eight at the most. Like, yeah. Not, compared to the, not that I'm saying you should, like, no, no human life necessarily is better than another, but certainly but if you're right. thousands yeah. and thousands, like, she's estimated of, like, I think almost 2,500 is, like, mm. of course you're going to be like, okay, this is someone, and then even something like a Genghis Khan is, like, that's someone who's maybe not a serial killer in the traditional sense, but he killed swaths of people. Mm, uh-huh. And then you just you just bring it all back to, you know, army generals doing this and that and the other. And then, like, you, you, can't, you can't craft a narrative and then leave out a whole bunch of people just because they don't fit the yeah. general profile, right. which is what... Now black widows are a thing and sprinklers are a thing. So well, that if it's not love was done, she was burned as a witch. Like yes. that's a very specific. Story. It was always ritual. I think. I mean, not that that <laughs> yeah. excuses yeah. it, but she was killing people. Maybe not in the same yeah. manner because she was doing it for you know ritual sacrifices and things. But mm-hmm. I think she even like got staked or something crazy. Like it was just like that to me is like oh my gosh, I want to know more about that because. It's not that it's, like, a good thing, but to me, it's just, like, this is so... If if you were teaching a class on serial killers, and it was a whole bunch of John, Way's, John Wayne Gacy's, this is going to stand out as, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that's where I think, to some extent, we get into... I don't know, for you, I'd be interested to hear what's sort of the boundary between known horrific and still a complete mystery. Because um, some of these, I'm like, oh thinking about it like elizabeth bathory where we know like we don't know exactly how many people she killed but we know it was a lot um and we again like modern ones for me are more the known and horrific ones the ones that i read tend to be like that um if i'm even the historical ones i read it's very it's a toss-up whether I'm going to read something where it's a complete mystery still or where it's known. Um, and I, I don't know, it's interesting to me. I'm still sort of very fascinated by these categories you put forth because I think that's a very interesting system um, of sort of where does one, where do you draw the line? When does it become one versus another? Um, and I, I, Part of why we consider, I think, the serial killer a modern phenomenon is that we have more ability to examine these things now. That we can, you know, there's DNA. more documentation. I mean, DNA is partly what there's, solved, yeah. I mean, potentially solved Jack the Ripper, which is literally hundreds of years old. So, you know, there's, um, I mean, yeah, you've got DNA, you've got surveillance, you've got a lot more communication between jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, that in ways that we didn't have at the time. Um, well, in a, in a real in, honest in way, I, I can't cases. remember what it is. There's an obvious joke here that I think it was in, I'm, I'm butchering whatever show did it, but it's sort of like, um, it's like back in the day when it was the 1920s, you could have people showing up to crime scenes full of blood and you'd be like, oh God, this blood, like get this out of the way, let's mop it up. Because yeah. at the time, <laughs> that's mass, like basically the killer's blood is like in a pile on the floor next to the body it, it killed, but you can't <laughs> tell who it is because DNA isn't a thing yet. And mm-hmm, I yeah. mean, it always reminds me of, of 
it, like Frequency, there's a movie Frequency where it's almost like watching the difference between modern policing and 1970s policing, I think it is, which is Dennis Quaid yeah. and John Cavazell, uh, Cavazell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, it's the father is trying to solve the same. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Jesus Christ, Christ. Uh, so the, the father is trying to solve a bunch of, uh, serial killings from the 1970s, I think it was, or at least definitely olden times, the 60s and 70s. And he's got a bunch of evidence that he can't do anything with because at the time there's not the kind of, I mean, you need to be able to show the, the like he tries to get the wallet to the sun so he hides it under the under a floorboard so he knows the sun will get it a hundred million years from then so like and then because they're they're talking to each other through time basically so like to me like hmm. he the solving of that crime does not even dependent upon him helping him solve the crime it's literally let me preserve the evidence because it's no way it's going to be solved now versus huh. then because he can get the fingerprints he could research the guy in modern times and then find out about like you know what his life was because the father had at that point died in in the regular timeline. So, like, to me, it's interesting because so much is reliant, especially in, in, in Anand's case, where there was no DNA testing of anything, really. I mean, they, all they know about mm. is basically the fingerprints. Yeah. The yeah. Which is two, as two confirmed people who smoke a lot of pot, is not very surprising to me. <laughs> so I'm like, why are we, why are we even concerned his hands were in that book? Because, Jesus <laughs> And there's a page a missing. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like, or oh, like a map on. in his ex-girlfriend's <laughs> friend's car. It's like, well, yeah, of course his fingerprints were on a map. This is on in NPR. You're telling me no editor stopped them and said, <laughs> but I guess that's part of this releasing the evidence. But mm-hmm. to me, it's just like there was no like. Oh, by the way, this is probably what that was about because there's a flat single pr- handprint on a book. I'm like, all right, <laughs> but like yeah. that's the kind of stuff to me where it was sort of funny because it has elements of like it'd be helpful if this was DNA tested, but at the time they didn't get the, the DNA to collect. And if you don't have that, how are you gonna? I mean, they have this the stuff of the, the crime scene, but I would hope that they went over the car before trashing the car. But I don't know. And then at the same yeah. time, they have him in the car, but that's someone who's probably been in her car a million times, and it just, it's tough. Yeah. And that's the nature of, of, you know, potentially, like, a romantic trysts where, where if it was based on <laughs> sexuality, if it was him being mad at her, there's nothing to say that, of course, it was just them in the car together, because he could have been there, he could have, he could have got, he maybe, I mean, not that he was, but if he was lying about getting a ride to Best Buy, who knows, because... He doesn't, that doesn't mean he killed her there. It just means that he was in the car. Like, that's, that's right. tough. Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean, like, you know, him being present does not mean that he, he killed her. But it might. And that certainly would, but it's, it's tough because these are all things that are so easy to pinpoint now that we don't have them later down the line. Right. But yeah. when you're collecting that stuff on the scene, it certainly must feel very, you know, hopefully they document as much as possible because who knows what will become, you know, useful later down the line. And we just don't know because, they certainly didn't right. do a lot of that for, I mean, this was the 90s. You would have think that they would at least be doing DNA testing. But then they were talking about, um, Justina Gutierrez was one of the first, uh, defendant, uh, who, uh, defense attorneys, I think, um, who brought up, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but like, um, luminol and, uh, she did like some kind of other like swab testing and like, to me, like, wow, I'm like, that's the first person? Because she was probably practicing law in the 90s, but I guess that is a recent discovery of using luminol at crime scenes, which is just interesting. Yeah, it's, and common... it's one of those things that's so ubiquitous now, like, you don't even think about it being, yeah. um, you know, that this is, it's still in its infancy. I mean, we're only 15 years down the line from this being the first cell phone data case, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the first, um, the first DNA cases were happening in 
the early to mid nineties. Like this is not, this is not a science yeah. that's long established, but we think of it now as being, you know, a hundred percent, you know, you test it and you get results that are 100% accurate, but maybe, you know, a hundred years down the line, people are going to be talking about us doing that and thinking that that oh, was... we'll have thought crimes at that point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tom Cruise is going to be reading our brains. Um, yeah. Crime. But yeah, like, you know, a hundred, a hundred years ago, fingerprints were the new thing. Like nobody even mm. knew for millennia that fingerprints were unique. And then it turns out that there's some cases where fingerprints aren't unique and, and they're still considered like it's open to interpretation. It's not an exact science. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's really, that's really interesting. Like, can you ever know that it, you know, th- does it ever move from the, the unknown to the known, like definitively? Mm-hmm. So many questions. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, that's the one thing I guess... that has really always been, like, with this case in particular, there's just, there's just enough, like, puzzle pieces that, like, you've got the whole puzzle and you've got, like, half of it put together, but there's just a bunch of other pieces left that you know must fit unless they gave you the wrong pieces in the box and then you're screwed. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what you're kind of stuck with. You're like, either I'm being stupid and I can't get these to fit together, or I had there's a manufacturer error. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough place to be. That's, that's true crime. That's pretty much life, yeah, exactly. isn't it? And it's true crime in general. Like all of these cases, there's just enough there that you're like, well, this is probably true, but what parts aren't true? Because there's no way it was a hundred percent. Because somebody's lying. Because no one's agreeing on what actually happened. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it just uh, evidence. In, in in addition to the evidence, like nothing is firm in this case, and that's what's kind of tough because it makes it a lot easier for a sarah coney to, to craft a nice narrative that that gives you all the answers mm-hmm. you want and b it makes it pretty hard for you to say one way or the other i'm sure he did or did not do this and right that's part of why i'm drawn mm-hmm. to the topic in general is that i find it very 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 hard to just let that go i want to know i need to study yeah. to follow stuff through i'll, I'll still follow the mara murray case 20 years from now after the book uh, that one of the guys at blogs I've been following will pu- finally pu- be published because like, he's interviewed a lot of people in the case because I just want to know, hey, 20 years from now, did they ever solve that? Because they solved Jack the Ripper, so maybe it'll yeah. happen. Well, like, like <laughs> I, I, I like to read to the end of the book. Like, I like to yes. know. I yeah. like to get to the end. I like to finish the, the TV series. I like to watch all of the movies. I want to know what the story is all the way through. Um, so, it's yeah, like, I... I totally get that. Like, I'll, there's stories that they'll never be solved and you'll constantly be checking back. Like, well, maybe. That may be, yeah, that may be part of why I prefer the, like, historical ones. Yeah. Like, not only is there the distance of, like, well, all these people would have died of old uh-huh. age by now. Anyway, there's also, like, well, it's unlikely that we're going to get any new facts right. at this point. We're not going to get any new evidence. So, it, it's as... It's as solved as it's going to get. If it's completely solved, that's great. If not, well, I can rest assured knowing there's not going to be anything new next mm-hmm. week. Any new development. Unlike with Serial, which hopefully there will be. Yeah, we've still but got I, at I least two more that episodes. It comes, this is going to come a week before it potentially either ends or at least a couple weeks before it ends. Because we're existing in this nice comfy realm of hey it could still be solved <laughs> right there still could be that bombshell last episode i mean that's not outside the realm of possibility there could maybe she's got a smoking gun that she hasn't revealed to us yet i don't well, think it's likely but... I mean, that first episode um she had a little like pre-roll where it was just everyone talking about anon and there are certain, you've been listening to certain like over the over the course of the show certain of uh interviews be released like you heard Kathy, and then you heard uh, Saad, and you heard like other people speaking, and you find out, 
oh, this is what this is from. Because she basically took clips from future episodes. And there's a couple, I think, that next week are going to be, you're going to get more of the, what if he did do it? And then why people think he did. Mm-hmm. And you've heard a lot of people say, like, but he's such a nice guy. I think we're going to finally find <laughs> out. Well, yeah, he's a nice guy, but he had flaws, and here are the flaws. Yeah, and- I actually, mm-hmm. Mara, that was something I wanted to bring up with you, because you and I on Twitter, I think, had the same reaction um, to the last episode. Yes. Uh, which, as we're recording, was episode 10. And I, like, the very last line of the serial episode, I think you and I had a similar reaction where... I gasped. Yeah, she said, you know, or, you know, like a total psychopath next time on Serial. And I turned and I looked at my iPad like, what? Like, yeah, where did that, that come is, from? In, in many ways, I don't think it's the smoking gun, but I think it's certainly the un, unaddressed elephant in the room. Because there's been a lot of people, maybe not online and maybe not even on Reddit or, or the sub or anything. But it, it's been a lot of, well, if he did do it, why isn't he displaying any of the characteristics of a psycho right because it's i mean mm. you could you could say that kind of stuff to the cows come home who knows if someone's going to act the right way after a murder or after a non being accused of murder that you didn't commit but he certainly has lived 15 years in jail we don't know day to day what he's been doing obviously but to to live and be certainly somewhat well adjusted in jail for this long certainly seems and he's still claiming innocence is like wow you're really keeping up a ruse if you are not guilty mm-hmm. and i think she's gonna try and address why he would do that next week if he if he was and if not maybe she'll explain for the final time because she certainly must have known this information prior to her saying that i don't think he's guilty right and cause she had that pre-roll stuff ready to go and she's now at this point caught up in real time so she's got those interviews already taped so to me, it's like, I want to know what she has all, the entirety of what she's heard to be also ruled out on my own from having heard it. Yeah. And that's kind of where I think a lot of people fall in terms of listening to this show is that you almost feel like you're part of her team because she's mm-hmm. sharing all her information with you <laughs> yeah. and in real time, Yeah, which is nice. And so, yeah, like, I, I feel the same way. Like, she's drawn us into her investigation. And by putting herself at the, at the center of it, by making, like, these episodes are about, this is what she's uncovered, and this is the, you know, the ambivalence that she has, and she goes back and forth. Um, and she's really kind of putting us in the position of, well, this is what I've uncovered. You guys evaluate it and, and decide. It's really interesting. I'll be really interested to listen to the last couple of episodes and see kind of what the reaction is. Um, to it. Well, I, I mean, I know yourself having watched and, and, you know, read up on a lot of true crime, I know you'll probably be equally, I mean, I'm certainly always, when I find, when I get to the end of the Wikipedia page and there's a bunch of unsighted sources and no actual <laughs> answer, that's fine. I'm, it's part of yeah. the course for a lot of what I'm reading, so at least I'll be disappointed in the sense that I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I anticipate some full-fledged tantrums going on for oh, a long yeah. time. Oh, because yes. if it's anything as unfulfilling as most of what I read in terms of true crime that's unsolved or, you know, unexplained, it, it's a difficult... It's a difficult... There's a reason why I read so much of it is because it's easier to start a bunch of things that are unexplained and then forget that they're all not answered because every time you start a new one, it's almost like, will this one be answered? And some of them are. Some of them are... I mean, but a lot of the, like, the mysterious disappearances stuff maybe there's some explanations but there's always mm. it's, it's in that tab for a reason it's not explained <laughs> so this might fall under that category and i anticipate a lot of people don't know how to deal with a narrative that has no you know thrilling conclusion um i'm sure she'll mm. craft a very good um solid her opinion on everything follow through but i don't think that they're gonna get like 
uh, it's not going to end with and Adnan's out of jail. <laughs> like that's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, yeah, or, and, and someone confessed it was all a lie. Like, that's not going to. That's not the nature of what yeah. we're listening yeah. to. And I mean, some people maybe know that because they're familiar, but I think a lot of people have gotten invested kind of almost personally in terms of whether or not they think um, he's guilty and it's going to feel either like a letdown or a, or a burnout if he is just left. Everything is the same as when they started because yeah. nothing has really been changed. I mean, the Deirdre stuff hopefully will fall through for, for I mean, she'll do her best to I mean overturn him, I'm sure, but um, it's really not changed too much. And that's not to say it's her fault. I don't think that she ever anticipated changing things thoroughly, but I mean, this American life has certainly had its experience with, um, you know, wrongly convicted uh, criminals getting their their cases relooked at. But I don't think that uh, you're not going to turn around and see like her show up and say, "Oh, by the way, yeah. he's not really guilty," and here's well, footage of him not killing her that whole day. Like <laughs> she know? never, she never presented, like from the episode one, she never presented it as, "I'm going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to say definitively." Adnan did it or Adnan didn't, which she presents is there's something that doesn't add up and I wanted to get to the bottom of it, but it's never like I'm going to have answers for you, <laughs> like, um, which I think right. I, I think a lot of people might have read that into it. And that's just not the case. Like, that's just not what she's she's not hired. A, she's not a private investigator trying to exonerate Adnan. She's a reporter um, who looked at, at a lot of evidence and said something's not adding up right. And I'd like to look into it more. So. Yeah, I think there's. I think the reaction is going to be really interesting to watch. It's going to be very polarizing. Yeah. I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Well, good. like everything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking yep. the well, internet will be. If it happened on the internet, it's very yes. polarizing. So, so watch the subreddit because there will be some explosions there. I'm yes. Uh, um. All right. I guess. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I I don't really have anything else. So. Um, yeah, I guess that's a good place maybe to segue into recommendations yeah. for if you're feeling very polarized <laughs> after serial ends. Um, I'll go first since mine are pretty short. Like I said, I, this isn't really my genre. There is a very interesting article from, I think, The Atlantic that I will try to track down, um, about neurology and crime and um it's from a couple years ago but one of the most interesting things they mention is uh the ut shooting the university of texas austin shooting and um you know charles whitman basically left a note saying something's wrong with me please save my body and they did a they finally, when they had the technology, did a CAT scan and found, oh, there was something seriously going wrong in his brain. Um, and I will, so I'll try to find that link for you. Uh, recommendations, like I said, I, I'm not a huge true crime fan, so mine will be shorter, but I enjoyed, uh, The Devil in the White City mm-hmm. about the, um, Chicago World's Fair. Um, it took me a while to get into it. Uh, once I did, it was gripping. And I really, really loved uh, a book from a couple years ago called The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher, which was about a murder in uh, an English manor, basically, in the late 19th century, during the period where detective fiction was really becoming popular. Um, and it's a 
it's a really interesting case. And then to follow that, I would say that follow that with The Moonstone, a novel by Wilkie Collins, which Fantastic. is, he sort of, <laughs> yes, and he kind of gentles it down and makes it about a jewel thief rather than a murder. Um, but one thing I was surprised by with The Moonstone, as as I was with Dracula, after reading a bunch of, once you've read a bunch of Victorian fiction and gotten a feel for it, is just how funny the moonstone was i was just shocked by how hilariously funny it was um but it was very much based on the case uh that is the center of the suspicions of mr Witcher. okay so i would recommend all of those all my historical true crime recommendations <laughs> all right um i uh went in the podcast vein i actually um there's one that came to my attention when I accidentally stumbled into the subreddit for Serial. Um, it's nice. a it's a podcast called um, Criminal. Um, I think it's monthly. You can get it in iTunes. You can subscribe in iTunes, and it does uh, short episodes, maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes, um, once a month, where they delve into various as- aspects of criminal behavior. Um, so one oh. week it might be about a specific case. Another week it might be about um, forensic evidence. Um, there was a really interesting interview with a, uh, a medical examiner, a coroner, uh, one week hmm. or one month. Um, it's really good. Uh, so I would I definitely recommend that. There's another podcast called um, Sword and Scale, which also deals with true crime. Um and uh, again, they it, it varies from week to week. There isn't really anything like serial that you know, because that's a kind of a new podcast thing where it's one subject for an extended period of time. Um, hmm. So some of these other shorter format, you don't have to get as obsessed with them. Um, sort of scale <laughs> and criminal. Those are my recommendations. Maura, how about you? I will say, um, I don't know. I mean, I I think in my experience, I'll go back to the Mar Murray stuff at least because I it's. It's funny to me how much Serial has mimicked. I followed, uh, well, first of all, her Wikipedia page is really, pretty thorough. It's pretty long. It has all the police stuff. That's always nice when, I mean, having read a lot of Wikipedia pages, sometimes <laughs> it stops at the summary. This actually includes a lot of the investigation and like the follow through and, you know, it gives you a little map of where everything happened, which is always, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty massive mm-hmm. disappearance if they have that much information going as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and take suspects and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, the blog, uh, I think his name is James Renner. He is a uh, true crime writer from Cleveland who, already released another book about, I think there's two other disappearances that he wrote about, or at least one other one about, uh, uh, I think it was an abduction of Amy Mihalvec, Milajevic, I don't remember her name, but, um, uh, so he, he released that and he has, he wrote the man from Primrose Lane, if you've never, you know, that, but, uh, he is currently investigating and putting together a book about her disappearance, Mara Murray. I don't, I wouldn't recommend it as like 100% perfect because it's a blog versus a podcast released by NPR. So it's not, I would say, as sophisticated or um, thorough because it's a lot of conjecture of like, hey guys, do you think about this? And then the people in the comments will say, here's what I think. And I mean, Mara Murray herself had, there's a whole forum of people theorizing before Serial. So it's so funny to me that the Serial has now become like this big national uh, pastime for everyone to be theorizing about because. To me, this is like old hat. I'm like, oh, I'm like this has been like going on for. I've been reading those blogs for probably like five years at this point. So to huh. me, that's interesting because it's got like the same kind of theorizing. It's got the same basic. I mean, she's actually not. Her body's never been found, so that's part of why I think it's even even bigger mystery in some respects because there's 
no actual confirmed narrative besides here's what happened the night she went missing, and then from there on, who knows what actually happened. Um, but you can follow along the investigation there. He's spoken to the police, like her family, her ex-boyfriends. There's a lot of theories about why she disappeared and what happened. And, like, there's a lot of weird elements to it. With it. Like, I, I think the one really interesting part of that to me has always been that she, when in, she was in her car and there was a, um, a white rag stuck in her tailpipe. Which is traditionally, mm. obviously, if someone was trying to either commit suicide or someone was trying to kill someone, is that's the way it mm-hmm. was asphyxiated. Mm. But when she was at a, I think at a gas station or when she was pulled over, one of the people, or when she crashed, someone came over and said, why is that in your tailpipe? And she said, oh, it's just so... She gave some weird excuse of, like, oh, my father used to tell me to help me, like, with the, the engine to keep up or something weird. And it was just this a bizarre element, like, either she was lying or there was other something else going on. Like, it was so... Mm. But then why were you driving if you just wanted to kill yourself? <laughs> like, it's so confusing. Like, yeah. If you wanted to kill yourself with the tailpipe exhaust being covered, just sit in a, a parking garage, you know? It's just so... <laughs> it's bizarre. Like, there's there's a lot of elements there. And mm. it has a lot of the same stuff as Serial, where you get to follow it week to week. I mean, it's not really week to week at this point. It's sort of month to month. And then the book will be released, so keep your eyes out for that, I guess. But um, <laughs> that's probably my cool. best recommendation, is that if you like cases like this... That's got a very similar um, element, and unfortunately a little bit less in terms of answers, but, um, I mean, it's still worth checking out, I think. It's definitely okay. haunted me for a long time. Yeah, and maybe maybe <laughs> cool. somebody who's listening will check that out and solve it for you so that you can put oh, that that'd be to cool. bed. <laughs> oh, please. Hooray! Yes, okay. please. That'd be amazing. Right. I mean, the book, well, is, the book is different from Serial because I'm pretty sure he's going to try and... He got he got in some hot water because he he's a crime writer. That's what they kind of do sometimes is they just pick a narrative mm-hmm. and then go full force into it. Whereas uh-huh. Sarah Koenig is just a reporter, journalist person, just you know presenting the facts. So he in his mm-hmm. past book claimed someone was guilty of something, whether they're guilty or not, I don't know. But like it's certainly he's not against actually pointing the finger at someone at the end of the day. Okay. So they're probably gonna give he's gonna say and then this person probably did it and that's. To me, it's divisive, but I like that because even if it's not true, at least, you know, I've, I've been following his narrative. I'll take that as my answer, too, and then, you know, walk away <laughs> like it was solved. So I'm waiting for that book to come out. I think it's being edited now. So Oh, cool. Soon. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, well, people should definitely check that out. And you can check us out on the web at Real Bossy Britches. We're also on um, Twitter and Tumblr at Britches Podcast. And you can subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And um, yes. you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at OC Ferrer. And Jules is at Jules Has Tweets. And Maura, where can we find you? I am at Maura E. And I also have my own podcast. That's uh, right. Avoid, which yes. Lisa, you have also been on, and Julie, you're welcome to always come on. It's a uh, bad Hooray. TV podcast. So if you like bad TV, right. we yeah, it's a lot TV of fun on there. So check <laughs> oh, that I'm out there. at the Televoid. It's on Twitter at the Televoid. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining cool. us, Mara. No problem. My pleasure. Any excuse to talk about this again? <laughs> and probably you're, you're, you're talking to me pre-spiral into rereading all of what I've spoken about today. Oh, no. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time.